Let's open with a word of prayer and let's dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, Lord. We ask now as you go, we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us this morning. And thank you for everyone who's here, none by chance, all by divine appointment. Pray also for anybody who's new that they would feel welcomed and loved. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. I pray that man would decrease, that your Spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said... Amen. We talked about this last week when we looked at the first uh, three verses and did an overview on the book of Revelation. And I know you guys are really excited to get to the prophecy part, and I promise we will get there. But this morning, remember that the book of Revelation, it literally means apocalypsis, and it's the revealing or the unveiling of Jesus Christ. So this entire book is about Jesus, and he is the focus of this book. And this morning, and the verses we're going to look at, we're going to see in a deeper way who Jesus is. See, if you only look at the Gospels, there's plenty there, obviously, but he's a baby in a manger, and then he's a sinless man, an example for all of us to follow, the greatest teacher who ever lived, the man who performed miracles. We see all of that. Then he's the one who went to the cross of Calvary and three days later rose from the dead and then ascended back into heaven. But in the next two weeks, we're going to get a heavenly glimpse of what Jesus looks like in heaven and who he is in heaven and what he's doing in heaven as he's preparing a place for us, as he is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. See, when Jesus came, he came first as a suffering servant, as a Uh, an all-knowing savior, but when he comes back, he's going to come back as a triumphant king. Amen? And so he came the first time entering into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, right? And he's coming back on a white horse, and we're coming back with him, and we're going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years upon the earth. And guys, no matter what's going on in this world, our God is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's all-knowing, almighty God, and praise God that we know him. We've been adopted into his family. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Guys, when we close our eyes on earth, we're going to open them up in glory, and if we're here long enough, he's going to snatch us away before his judgment comes comes and praise God. Can I get an amen to that? And so that's the God that we serve. And so this morning, I plan on getting through the whole, it's not going to happen, okay? But when I get to 40 pages of notes, I stop, all right? But you're going to see as we look at the five verses we look at this morning, they're just all about who Jesus is. So if you grab your outline, and I know you're more excited about, a lot of you are more excited about the prophetic part, but if we don't know who Jesus is, the prophetic part means nothing. Can I get an amen to that? So first of all, we're going to, I tell the message, the unveiling of Jesus, right? The kind of the veil comes down and we, you know, you know, before, as I mentioned that, you know, last week, like if you had a sculpture up here and you had a veil over it, you got an idea what it looks like, right? You can touch it and maybe get a, a sense of it. But when the tarp is pulled away, we get to see it for what, what it is. And Revelation really unveils for us who Jesus is and what he has done for us. So the five points this morning, first, we're going to see the uh, greetings from God from him who was and is and is to come. Now, what's interesting in verse four, it's a greeting from God the Father, and it says from who was and is and is to come. When we get to verse eight, and we look at how Jesus introduces himself as who was and is and is to come, because Jesus and the Father are one. Amen? Jesus would say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's the only perfect 
a reflection of Almighty God. As Christians, we are to reflect Christ, but we do it in an imperfect way. Amen? But Jesus is the one and only perfect example of the Father. Amen? And so when we've seen Jesus, we've seen the Father. So we're going to see greetings from God, the great I am, the eternally existent one who always, hand, who always has been, who always will be, who's perfect, holy, all-powerful, always present, and unchanging. And then secondly, we're going to see who Jesus is. Now, you cannot contain who Jesus is in a paragraph. You certainly can't contain who Jesus is in all the books that have ever been written. Amen? But in the brief, in that one verse, we're going to see who Jesus is how he's described here as the faithful witness who pointed people to the Father. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. The firstborn from the dead. Some people struggle with that and misunderstand that. We'll get some clarity on that. First of all, he's not firstborn in the way you think of firstborn because Jesus always has been and always will be. Amen? The word firstborn there means preeminent or unique. The firstborn over creation. And he's also the ruler of the kings of the earth. Isn't it good to know that God's in control? Amen? No matter who's on the thrones around the world, no matter who's in the White House, God is still God, God is still king, and God is still in control. So we're going to see greetings from God and who Jesus is, and then what Jesus has done for us. First of all, he loved us and loves us. Isn't it good to know that Jesus loves you? Amen? And he knows you best and loves you most. He knows every wicked, vile thing you've ever done or thought, the things you're going to do in the future. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Again, Pastor Joshua quotes it every time he does announcements. But one of my favorite worship songs of all time is, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. When I was five years old or younger than that, that's a song that we used to sing. And it's so important to know that Jesus loves us. He is the firstborn from the dead, again, and what he's done for us, he knows you best, he loves you most. He washed away our sins by his own blood. Guys, how can we ever, this is why we're not going to get very far this morning, okay? (laughs) He washed away our sins by his own blood. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but... The blood of Jesus. See, it's not the blood of bulls and goats that were all pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the answer. That's why we're not making sacrifices anymore. On the cross of Calvary, he said, to Talistai, it is finished, paid in full. Your sins have been washed away. We're holy and righteous and just through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. When the Father sees us, he sees us perfect because he sees us through the blood of his Son. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? He's washed it all away. He's made us kings and priests. He's given us positions of intercession and authority. What did Jesus, what does Jesus promise to do? He's going to come back in the clouds. We'll see this as we go through Revelation. We're going to see clear pictures of how he's going to come for us. Watch and wait, live every day in anticipation of his soon return. In John 14, 3, he says, I will come again and receive you to myself. By the way, when Jesus comes back, everybody's going to know it. Amen? I had a guy call me, Jesus is alive, he's in Brooklyn. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. There was a guy down in Florida that said he was Jesus uh, back on the earth and all these people were following him. Then he died and he didn't get back up. When Jesus comes back, we're all going to know it. It's not going to be in secret. He's not sneaking in. Can I get an amen to that? They're all going to know who he is what Jesus has promised to do, and then how he introduces himself. 
Jesus introduces himself in this text this morning as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of the end, the one who is and was and is to come, and the Almighty. He's Almighty. We're not even kind of mighty. Can I get him into that? He's Almighty, all knowing, all powerful, and we're just, you know, sinners in desperate need of a Savior prior to coming to know Christ. Amen? And we're all weak in comparison to him. So let's look at the unveiling of Jesus, beginning there in verse 4. Again, we're going to see, as we go through Revelation, we're going to see the tribulation. We're going to see all the judgments that come. We're going to see, again, uh, as we talked about, just a lot of people were not here last week. Just real quickly, chapter one, we see who Jesus is. Chapter two and three is the church age. Then at the end of the church age, in chapter four, verse one, John is called up. You don't see the church mentioned again from chapter four to the end when we come back with him. So, Again, there's different perspectives. Get the, go, to, go to online and watch it from last week. I gave all the different positions people take on the end times, but I'm going to teach this from a premillennial, uh, again, pre-tribulational perspective. Some of you have a different perspective. That's okay. But that's why I'm going to teach it because I believe that's what the Bible clearly teaches because, again, we don't see the church mentioned from chapter 4 on. So let's begin there in verse 4, looking at the unveiling of Jesus. First, greetings from God. It says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. We know this again, if you've been coming here any length of time, these books are written on scrolls. The scroll, again, they would always start off with who wrote it, so you didn't have to go to the bottom of the scroll to find out, and we know that it's coming from John. Now, John, again, we talked about this a little bit last week, he was the apostle whom Jesus loved. He was the brother of James. It's interesting, James was the first apostle that was martyred. And John was the only apostle that they tried to kill who didn't die, was on the island of Patmos, basically a crater out in the middle of the ocean that was like a penal colony, like a prison. And from there, he wrote the book of Revelation. He was the last apostle at the cross. He's the one that cared for Mary. And he wrote, of course, the gospel of John, first, second, and second, and third John. He had enjoyed, endured great persecution Again, he's the last living apostle. By the time he writes this, it's about 60 years after Jesus ascended back into heaven. And so he's the last living apostle, and God is using him to communicate to the church. And it says there, to the seven churches which are in Asia. Now, when you think of Asia, don't think of China and Japan. Asia in those days, Asia Minor is like modern-day Turkey. So he's writing to where the churches all are. There's seven churches. There's a lot of interpretation. We're going to look at these in the next couple of weeks in chapter two and chapter three. You have the message to the seven churches. Some believe that the seven churches are seven different ages of the church from the time when the church began in Acts until the time that the church is raptured. Others believe it's just a, a, a picture of the church as a whole. How, what is the church look like. But these special messages, again, will be listed and we will look at them in depth in chapter two and chapter three. So seven in the Bible is a number of completion. And it's been suggested again, that it's a representation of the church as a whole. So here's some things he's going to say to the seven churches. When we get to chapter two and chapter three, he has compliments or commendations for them. Then he has some warnings and some condemnation for them. First, he, he, uh, encourages them for rejecting evil, persevering and being patient, enduring suffering for their faith, for their love, for their service, for keeping the word of God and honoring his name. 
But then he criticizes the, some of the churches. First, are losing their fervency in the Lord, their love for the Lord. Guys, as believers, we should be growing in our love for the Lord every single day. Amen? But how, how many of you have ever been in a place where you were closer to God than maybe you are right now? Anybody at all? Okay. So guess what? If you're not as close to God as you used to be, who moved? Amen? We move away from God. And so there are times when we can do that. We get caught up in the things of this world. We haven't rejected the Lord, but maybe he's not the priority and the passion that he once was. And there was criticism that came to the early church because they lost their fervency and their love for the Lord. Secondly, for tolerating immorality, idolatry, and false teaching. Boy, that sounds like the church right about now, doesn't it? Tolerating immorality, idolatry, and false teaching. You have churches, and I don't even think they are churches, they call themselves churches, that out in front of their building, they say they're open and open and affirming to every perversion that comes down the pike. Here's the reality. We love everybody. Our God's a God of love, grace, and mercy. Everybody's welcome here, but we will never condone my sin or your sin because, again, our sin is what has separated us from God and is the reason that we would spend eternity separated from him. So we cannot condone sin when Jesus was so heartbroken over it that he went to the cross of Calvary that we could be redeemed from it. So we cannot stand up and say that sin is okay. Amen? And we live in a church today. Amen. We can clap for that. But amen. Here's the reality. But don't we fall into the trap? We just We make sin less than it is. You heard me say this? We call adultery having an affair. It's like a catered affair. No, it's not an affair. It's adultery. We call lying, you know, exaggerating or shading the truth, or it's a little white lie. A half truth is a whole lie. Amen? We make everything. God made them male and female. Amen? It's not that hard. But the Bible says in the last days, men will call good evil and evil good. And we're living in a time that anything that's evil or perverse is protected and promoted, and everybody's a victim. You know, you're not a victim, you're a stinking vile sinner like the rest of us, and you need to be saved. Can I get an amen to that? And so we've gotten to this place where churches are propping up and okay with immorality and false teaching. Nothing less than a whole Bible makes a whole Christian, amen? And we don't teach how wonderful you are and blow smoke at you all day. Can I get an Amen. You know, just, oh, you're so amazing. No, you're not. <laughs> Neither am I. Can I get an amen to that? I'm not going to live my best life now. My best life comes when I get to heaven. Can I get an amen to that? We don't worship ourselves. It's not about how amazing we are. And you don't need more self-esteem. You need to deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow him. You esteem yourself too much already. Can I get an amen? <laughs> this is why we're only doing five verses. Can I get an amen to that? The church is dead spiritually. He warns them in, in chapter 2 and 3 that they're spiritually dead. It can become a religious country club where we just come and are, are meant to feel good about ourselves. But the reality is, you know what this is? This is, this is Pastor Rob McCoy shares this illustration. I love it. He said, this is the place where the planes come back and land, get refueled to go back out into the world. Amen. We come in here to be filled and to be strengthened in our walks. So we can go out and live out, live out loud for Jesus when we walk off this campus. Amen? We're going to get some signs for the bottom of the hill that say, now entering your mission field. Amen? As soon as you walk off this campus, you're on your mission field because people here need Jesus. Church should also become indifferent. Just not on fire for God. Be hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Amen? 
So seven is the number of completion. It's prevalent in this book in which God tells us how he's going to complete his work and usher in his eternal kingdom. Let's, I'll tell you some sevens in the book right here. In Revelation 1.16, we'll see this next week, the seven stars. In Revelation 1.12 and 20, the seven lampstands. In Revelation 5, the seven seals. In Revelation 8, the seven trumpets. In Revelation 16, the seven vials. Also throughout the book, we have seven beatitudes. Oh, how happy. It's right, the beatitudes that we saw in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But we see seven times he says, oh, how happy in this book, or blessed is. He says here, blessed, in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 3, we saw it last week, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it. In Revelation 14, 13, he says, blessed are those who die in the Lord. Guys, death has no sting for the believer. Amen? Amen? Christians don't die. We just move to a much better neighborhood. Amen? We close our eyes on earth. We open them up in glory. It just doesn't get any better. Death has no sting. It stings for us that are still here. But the people that have died, there's no sting. In Revelation 16, 15, it says, blessed is he who watches. In Revelation 19, 9, it says, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. In Revelation 26, it says, 20, verse 6, it says, blessed and holy is he who has part of the first resurrection. Revelation 22, 7 says, blessed is he who keeps the word of the prophecy in this book. And Revelation 22, 14 says, blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. Oh, how happy are those who are following the things written in this book. Amen? So we open it, we read it, and we obey it. We need to be, you know, keep it, keep what the Word of God says. Happier of those who, again, and they can't keep what you don't read. Can I get amen to that? We have the through the Bible in the year on the back table. They're bright yellow, so you can't miss them. Stick it in your Bible, and at the end of the year, one year from now, if the Lord hasn't already come back for us, we will have read through the entire Bible, and I don't care if you've read through it a hundred times, you need to read through it again. Can I get an amen to that? There's truth in this book, right? The rapture of the church, the great tribulation, God's righteousness and judgment, the second coming of Christ, the millennial kingdom. See, all these things that we study in the text are things that we need to be reminded of. We get bummed out about stuff in the world because we lose sight on eternity. You know, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, it says in Colossians 3, 2. So that's where our joy comes from. That's where our hope is. And then he says there, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come. So grace and peace, grace is the Greek greeting, which is charis, which means may God bless you with more than you deserve. That's a great greeting, amen? May, and we should, instead of saying grace, we say, may God bless you with more than you deserve. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> Tell that to your boss when you get to work tomorrow. How's your, hey, how you doing? Good. May God bless you with more than you deserve, amen? <laughs> it's called grace. And that's what we want for ourselves. But you notice grace and peace are always in that order because without God's grace, we can have no peace. Amen. The word grace here is charis, it's a Greek greeting, and the word peace here is a Hebrew greeting, shalom, which means peace or quietness or rest. So may God bless you with more than you deserve, and may you know his peace, amen? Without grace, there can be no peace, amen? God's riches at Christ's expense, always in that order, because it's only when you've experienced God's grace, his unmerited favor, that you may have peace and enter into his rest. What makes this greeting truly powerful is its promise. 
Notice who it's from. See, a promise is only as valuable as the one who makes it. That's why I don't trust any promises from any politician ever. Can I get him into that? I know who it's coming from. Okay, I hope he's, being, I hope he's telling the truth. But, but the reality is, you know whose promises we can believe? The one who is and was and is to come, Almighty God. Amen? When he tells us something, it's a done deal. We can trust in his promises. He's a faithful God. From him who is, who was, and is, is to come. This speaks of the Father and his eternal nature. In Exodus 3, the burning bush. You gotta love Moses. Spent 40 years thinking he was somebody, 40 years becoming, you know, nobody, and 40 years proving that God couldn't use anybody. Can I get him into that? So that's Moses, 40 the number of testing. He's on the backside of the desert. He's run for his life from Egypt where he was a prince. And there's a burning bush as he's out watching sheep. And the Lord tells him that he wants to use him to go in and represent him and deliver his people out of bondage in Egypt. And then he says, when they ask me who sent me, what shall I tell them that your name is? And he says, what? I am that I am. I am the great I am. Not the I wish or I was or I hope, the I am. Amen? And he always has been. I am, I, I am that I am. The, the word there literally is Yahweh. So we get to work for Yahweh. So he is both eternal and immutable, which means he always has been, he always will be, and he'll never change his mind. Aren't you glad that God doesn't change his mind? People pray like God will change his mind. God doesn't change his mind because if he changed his mind, he'd have been wrong the first time and he's never wrong. Amen. Aren't you glad God doesn't change his mind because if he was going to change his mind, maybe he wouldn't come back for us. Amen. Maybe he wouldn't let us into heaven. God knew what was coming, and he did. You know, God could have erased and started over after Adam and Eve. He could have said, oh, you guys are a train wreck. Erase, erase. Let me start over. He didn't do that. Why were we yet sinners? Christ died for us. He knows us best. He loves us most. He's eternal. He's immutable. He has not, nor will he ever change. He rules the past. He rules the present. He rules the future. You want a headache? He's outside of time and space. People try to you know, make God less. See, God's beyond our ability to fully comprehend because if I could fully comprehend him, he wouldn't be that great because I'm not that smart. Amen? God is outside of, so if he's outside of time and he's outside, of, where is outside of space? What's outside of space? If there's no space, what is there? Right? Headache. Amen? But that's our God. He's greater than we could possibly imagine. He is the all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God who spoke everything into existence. And he is and always has been. He is the infinite God and is beyond the full comprehension of finite men. Again, he's the, uh, he's the great I am and we're the I ain't and I wish. Amen? Our God, creator, heavenly father, source of grace and peace, the great I am, the eternally existent one who always has been, always will be, who is perfect, holy, all-powerful, always present and unchanging. Amen? That's what this book is about, the unveiling of our Savior and of our God. Again, the promise is only as reliable as the source, and our promise comes from the great I am. And notice it says there, from the one who was and is and is to come. So he always has been, he always will be, he always will be. He's in the past, he's in the present, he will be our future. And praise God for that. And notice it says here, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. 
Now, this can give people a headache. It could have been seven angelic beings who will take part in the revelation. But in its context, it seems clearly to be a reference to the Holy Spirit himself. Now, seven's a number of completion or perfection. And seven is a, and it says in this in Isaiah 11, verse 2, it describes seven aspects of the Holy Spirit. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of God. It isn't that there are seven different spirits of God, but rather the spirit of the Lord has these characteristic characteristics and he has them all in fullness and perfection. Guys, there's only one God and again, three distinct persons and the Holy Spirit is God. Jesus was always pointing people to the Father. The Holy Spirit is always pointing people to Jesus, and you and I should be pointing people to all of them. Can I get an amen to that? All God, all perfect, all holy, all three persons, all eternal, all powerful, all wise, and all three clearly referred to in this greeting. Notice it says, Him, that's God the Father, and then the seven spirits speaks of the Holy Spirit. Then it says there, and from Jesus Christ. So when he's speaking of him, and then he speaks of the Spirit, that's God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit, and he hasn't been mentioned yet, and Jesus Christ. So point number two there is who is Jesus? Uh, The one who is primary focus of this revelation is Jesus. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus, the one who is being unveiled in a deeper way. And John brings a greeting from God the Son who is described by who he is and what he's done. First of all, it says, the faithful witness. The word faithful there is trustworthy, sure, true, and accurate. Jesus pointing people to the Father. The faithful witness to what? To the Father. Jesus said to Philip on the night he was crucified, Philip said, Show us the Father. That will be enough for us. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When people say, Jesus never claimed to be God, you're in a coma, bro, because you got to read the Bible. And you'll, you know, yet Jehovah's Witnesses come to my door, all these people. I mean, just stop it. Let me show you 150 times where Jesus claims to be God. Amen? Well, here's one of them. I and the Father are one. Now, would you ever say that about yourself? No way. Can I get an amen to that? Now, I am born again. I'm a new creation in Christ. I've been adopted into his family. There's two undeniable facts. There is a God and you're not him. Can I get an amen to that? And so we're not God, but God dwells in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. We are one with Christ, but we are not a perfect representation of him. Now, should we be an example to others of who Christ is? What's the answer? Absolutely. I've never gotten there. I don't know if I ever will. But there's a story of a man who was, uh, for his faith, thrown into prison. And he was in with a bunch of other prisoners, and he began ministering to them and caring for them health-wise, and he was loving on them and serving them and laying down his life for him for many, many years. And one man finally said to him, "How I, I don't know what Jesus is like, and you've been trying to describe him to me. Could you just give me a, an example? And the man, on that moment, by the grace of God, said, well, Jesus is a lot like me. And the reason he was able to say that is he'd been loving, serving, and laying down his life for these people. And when he said it, it wasn't blasphemous. It was really an example to them of, oh, I get it. Now, I would hope that we could say that someday, but I don't feel comfortable saying that right now. How about you? Well, Jesus is a lot like me. 
Don't talk to my wife. Can I get mad? Right? Right? Our, our desire, though, should, that we should be more and more like Jesus. Amen? That we'd be more and more like him. We'd be a better example of him. Jesus said, again, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is the faithful witness of the Father, and only Jesus is the accurate representation of the Father. We must never come to conclusions about the Father based on the behavior of anyone else. All these deconstructing Christians, that just means you were never saved to begin with, by the way, but all these people saying they're deconstructing their faith, they always blame it on people. Well, my pastor said this. Well, this person did that. Well, there's a bunch of hypocrites in the church. And I've had people say, oh, I don't want to go to church. There's a bunch of hypocrites there. We got room for one more. Come on down, bro. Can I get him into that? I'd rather spend Sunday with a few hypocrites and attorney in hell without with all of them. Can I get him into that? Amen. But we don't base who God is on the behavior of any man. Because men will fail you. They all have feet of clay. Amen. We base who, Jesus, who, who God is by looking at Jesus. He's the only perfect representation of Almighty God because he is God. Amen? People often point to hypocrites in the church. The televangelist caught lying, stealing, committing adultery. Every time a pastor gets in trouble and it's some, they, people, my coworkers, oh, one of your buddies got caught. It's not my buddy. Can I get amen to that? They think all the pastors were all like getting together and we're all the same. No, not, not so much. Amen? Uh, the, the Christian business owner who ripped them off. You know, you guys have, a, I have a sales job. I have 250 accounts and I go see my clients and a lot of them, they all know I'm a pastor. I'll go, yeah, those Christians, they rip you off, you know? And it's sad because, and I'll say, I'll say, well, forget about that guy. What about Jesus? What have you done with God's son? Guys, we want to get the ball to Jesus. Can I get an amen? <laughs> if I played on a basketball team, Michael Jordan, I would have the ball in my hands about half a second. Get the ball to Jordan, get the ball to Jordan. Just get it out of my, we, we want to get the ball to Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? We want to take it to, well, who's Jesus? Okay, well, all right. Christians are a bunch of wicked, but I get it. What about Jesus? Well, I, you know, these people, on the, I don't care. What about Jesus? Let's get him to Jesus, amen? Because he's the only perfect example. The Christian coworker is dishonest or lazy or tells dirty jokes or ogles women. I had a coworker just like that. And he just said he was a Christian, but his life didn't reflect it. See, Jesus is the one and only true, accurate representation of Jesus Christ. That's not an excuse for us to blow our testimony. Amen? We should desire to, to live sinless and holy lives. We, can't, we won't ever fully be there. We, Christians don't, aren't sinless, but we should sin less. Amen? And we should become more and more like our Savior. But no, Jesus is the only true and perfect witness. Now, the word witness there is martyr. That's what it is. Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father, even, even unto death, unto death on the cross. The greatest martyr who ever lived is Jesus. Amen? So he was a martyr, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Then it says, now this is something that gets people off track, the firstborn from the dead. Now, I've had uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and others say, see, look, he was the firstborn. He's not the creator, he's created. Now, the word firstborn there, is, doesn't mean the first one who was born. It means preeminent or unique. So uh, I don't even know, what is Joe Biden's wife's name? Jill. See, how, I, I, don't, I don't care. Can I get him in that? <laughs> but she's, she's the first lady. Does that mean she's the first lady who ever lived? It just means her position is first in preeminence or uniqueness, right? 
Well, he is the firstborn of creation, and so it's, it speaks of uh, a special, unique, given a double portion of the inheritance of firstborn. Jesus, not the first to be resurrected, by the way. Didn't people raise from the dead before Jesus? What's the answer? Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. Tabitha, right? Raised from the dead. You know what happened? They both died again, right? Everybody else that was resurrected died again. Jesus rose from the dead and never died again. Can I get him into that? He triumphed over sin and death. So he is the firstborn from the dead, again, because he is unique. His resurrection is special and unique. He was the first one to be raised from the dead that was never subject to death because he triumphed over it. His resurrection also guarantees our future resurrection. Did you know that? Uh, what prophet you serve? And I served Joseph Smith. He died in a gunfight. He was a fairytale writer. He's dead. He was a polygamist. He took other people's wives. That's the guy you want to follow? One that said that Jesus and Satan were brothers, that guy? You know who I follow? The one who is the creator of all things. Amen? The Alpha and the Omega. It says in 1 Chronicles 15, verse 20 to 22, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For sin by man came for sin by man came death by man, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. When I was a youth pastor, when I would teach through texts like this, I would write three words on one side of the chalkboard or whatever, and three on the other side. And one said, Adam, sin, death. And the other side said, Jesus, salvation, life. Through Adam, we were all born sinners. Amen. And because of Adam's original sin, we were born sinners. And because of Adam's sin and our sin, we all die. But if we've been born again in Jesus Christ, we have salvation and we will have eternal life. Amen? Before we came to know the Lord, we were in Adam, we were dead to our trespasses and sins. As soon as we were born again in Christ, we've been saved and we walk in newness of life. We're no longer dead. We're alive in Christ. Amen? So Adam sin, death, Jesus, salvation, life. Sometimes those little things stick. Amen? Firstborn again does not speak of being created or even firstborn physically. It speaks of his preeminence, his position, and his authority. In Jeremiah 31, Ephraim, God calls Ephraim his firstborn, even though he is the younger brother. Ephraim had prominence. Jesus, the preeminent one over all creation, raised himself from the dead to die no more. He has triumphed over sin and death. And again, he is the preeminent one. Then it says there, the ruler over the kings of the earth has a couple of meanings to it. Jesus is greater than any, uh, an over, uh, greater than and over all the world's earthly kings. Isaiah 6 says, in that day that King Uriah died, King Uzziah died, excuse me, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Uzziah ruled over Judah for 50 years, and in the end he died as all men do. And the people of Judah wondered, now what? It was great when, uh, when Pastor Chuck went to heaven, the first senior pastor's conference, the first message uh, was, was taught. And what he taught on was this text, that when King Uzziah died, the people saw the Lord. See, if we keep our eyes on the king, sometimes we forget to look to the Lord. Amen? If we're looking to any man, sometimes we're going to be so focused on that man that we're not going to put our eyes on the Lord. That's why any man that puts a focus on himself, any woman that puts a focus on themselves, that makes it about them as somebody that is a deterrent for us to keep our eyes on the Lord. We don't follow men, we follow Jesus. Amen? 
bothers me. Some people come to me and say, oh, you know, I go to your church. Well, okay, I get it. I appreciate the sentiment. It's not my church. It's his church. Amen? It belongs to him. If it's my church, run like it's on fire. Get out of here. Amen? You don't want it. It's his church. We are the church. Can I get an amen to that? We're his people. People of Judah, again, wondered. Isaiah points out, it's when the kings of this world pass away that we take our eyes off of worldly rulers, that we see Jesus for who he truly is. Have you ever noticed that it's in tragedy that gets people to their knees? One of the best things that happened last Monday night with that young man on the Buffalo Bills that almost died on the field is I'm watching, uh, there was a game last night and both teams went out to the middle of the field, got on their knees and prayed. Amen? On ESPN. Guy said, you know what? We're all talking about prayer. I just want to pray right now. And everybody bowed their heads and they prayed. And you know what? Sometimes when we take our eyes off of men, we get our eyes back on the Lord. And when we know we can't fix it by ourselves, we cry out to him. But guys, we should be crying out to him all the time. Amen? Prayer is not the last resort. It ought to be the first stop. Amen? In Zechariah 14, 8, it says, And in that day it shall be that living water shall flow from Jerusalem, half toward the eastern sea and half toward the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur, and the Lord will be the king over all the earth. During the millennial kingdom, some don't believe in the millennial kingdom. They don't believe it exists. And God bless them, but I disagree with them, and it's okay. We can be brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ and believe that. Amen? Uh, but they're going to enjoy the millennial kingdom anyway, even if they didn't believe in it. Yeah, for a, for a millennium, for a thousand years. But the millennial kingdom, when we will be ruling and reigning with the Lord upon the earth, and we're going to see what the world is like with God in charge. How good is that? I wouldn't want to live a hundred years. That's why Jack left 10 days before. But I, I wouldn't want to live a hundred years on this planet the way it is right now. But a thousand with God in control, I'm all up for that. How about you? And we're going to see, I mean, praise God for the millennial reign. Jesus rules uh, a, a kingdom today, but it is a kingdom not yet of this world. So he's the faithful witness. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the ruler over the kings of the earth. Point number three, we saw the greetings from God. We saw who Jesus is. So what has Jesus done for us? Exactly. We could sit here until the Lord comes back and we wouldn't get close to all that Jesus has done for us. But what he's limited to just in these few verses is pretty powerful. Notice what it says here, to him who loved us. Guys, that's so amazing. To him who loved us. What a beautiful title for Jesus the one who loved us. Isn't it wonderful again to know that Jesus loves you? And by the way, Jesus doesn't clean you up and make you lovable and then love you. He loves you exactly the way that you are. Amen? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't say, well, let me clean them up and make them acceptable and then I'll try to love them, right? That's what the world does. We want to change people to make them lovable. But John is in the island of Patmos, on a, a penal colony that was a big lava rock, mined and quarried rock all day. He's in his 90s, 
and he had and continued to endure great persecution and hardship, but he never for a moment doubted God's love. You know why people doubt God's love? They doubt God's love because they have a temporal perspective instead of an eternal one. As believers, when tragedies happen, we might want to ask why. We might want to doubt or question God's love and his grace. Most of you, I'm sure almost all of you know that my 28-year-old son went to heaven 16 months ago. You know what? I've never doubted God's love for me because I went through tragedy. Because I'll tell you what, I am so thankful because he sent his son to die. I'll see my son again. See, our God knows the tragedies we will go through, but he doesn't have us walk through them alone. Amen? And he's an all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God who loves us. How much did he love you? How do you determine the value of something? What someone is willing to pay. Amen? I bought this watch like eight years ago for a hundred bucks. Great watch. I like it. It's a good watch. It works. hundred bucks. If it was 10,000, not so much. <laughs> Amen? It's worth a hundred. I probably might have to pay 200. It's worth that. Okay. But I, I wouldn't have paid 10,000. Here's the point. How much did almighty God pay for you? He sent his son to suffer and die on the cross of Calvary that you might be forgiven. So the next time you feel like you're not worth anything, the next time you think you're of no value, the next time someone tries to tear you down, you just remember how much Jesus loves you and how he proved it on the cross of Calvary. Amen? That's how much he loves us. Amen? Does the world need to hear that? You know what? I don't need 10,000 likes on Facebook or TikTok or Instagram. I just need one love from Almighty God, and I've already been given it. Can I get an amen to that? And that's what really matters. He loved us, and notice it says there, and washed away our sins in his own blood. He loved us to the cross. John witnessed Jesus' crucifixion firsthand. John was the one at the foot of the cross when Jesus was dying and all the other apostles would run off and hide. And he stayed there and he remained there. Remember how he referred to himself as the apostle whom Jesus loved. Not because he was being arrogant or anything, but he was blown away that God loved him so much. And he was at the foot of the cross and he was looking up and he saw how much Jesus was suffering and he knew he's doing that out of love for me. No amount of persecution, hardship, or exile in a rock quarry would ever cause him to forget all that the Lord had done for him. This is why we need to read the Bible. Because when we read it and we understand all that God has done for us, we'll never lose sight of the depth of his love for us and the depths of his grace. Amen? But when we listen to the world, well, why would a loving God allow that? Well, because he allowed all of us to have free will. And none of it's God's fault. It's all our fault. Can I get an amen to that? Well, why would a love God, loving God allow? Well, if I got up and hit Brett in the face, first he'd kill me, but if I hit Brett in the face, and then I said, I love you, bro, and I hit him in the face, I don't know, see, well, it's God's will, God did it, it's God's fault, blame God, hit him, you know, eventually he's going to torque, you know, twist me into a pretzel, but here's the reality, the reality is that it's the evilness of man that causes ungodly and evil behavior because we have an all-knowing, all-loving, almighty, all-merciful God, amen? And so we don't blame it on God, it's us. Every believer should be secure in God's love. It's not based on current circumstances that may be difficult, but it's based on the ultimate demonstration of his love. It says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The work of the cross is the ultimate proof of his love for you. He may give additional proof, but 
He can give no greater proof. Amen? There's no greater proof than someone loves you if they're willing to die for you. And that's how much he loves you. No wonder many believers are not secure in knowing the love of Jesus toward them. They look at their present circumstances to measure his love. You know, if your kids looked at the times that you said no, they would think you didn't love them. If they, if they looked at you at the time you disciplined them, they, they would think you didn't love them. You know, those who the Lord loves, he disciplines. Amen? So we don't look at our current circumstances and say, God must not love me. We look to the cross of Calvary and we realize that, man, does he love me way more than I deserve. Amen? Greater love of no man than this. And notice it says there, again, it says in Romans 8, it is this past tense of the gospel the devil hates. Let a, it, it says, he loved us. Loved us. You can say God loves you, but he loved us. He loved us before we were even born. He'd already made up his mind that you were worth it, knowing everything you would ever do. That's our God. And he washed away, it says there in the verse, washed us from our sins in his own blood. This is what happened when Jesus loved us at the cross. He washed us, he cleansed us from the depth and the stain of sin so that we really are clean before him. Again, this is uh, worth praising because this is what Jesus is all about. If we understand our own deep sinfulness, this seems almost too good to be true. Here's what happens a lot. I did a lot of prison ministry, about 15 years worth in a couple different places. And when I would be in a room full of prisoners, they would, it always would be guys who would come up and go, Pastor, you don't know though, bro. You don't understand. Do you know why I'm in here? I'm like, no. No, I don't. Well, you know what? I, I, was, I was convicted of murdering three people. It was a drug deal gone bad, and I mowed these guys down and killed them. And I killed three people. God can't forgive me. See, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Amen? And the reality is that there's no sin so great that it cannot be redeemed and forgiven if you are willing to, to repent and surrender your life to the Lord. Amen? We can stand clean before God clean from our deepest sins. No wonder John also wrote 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from some unrighteousness. Is that what it says? All unrighteousness. So there's no sin that's unforgivable outside the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which means that you reject him for a lifetime. Amen? The only thing that can cleanse us is his own blood. If there had been any other way to wash away our sins, God would have done it the other way. Amen? There's only, the only way for redemption is through Jesus' shed blood on the cross of Calvary. To wash us in his blood meant the ultimate sacrifice of God the Son. It wouldn't have been done unless it was the only way. Notice the order, first loved, then washed. It wasn't that God washed us to cleanse us so that he could love us. He loved us before he washed us. He loved us while we were dirty. He loved us while we were sinners. He loved us while we were imperfect. He loved us while we were struggling. That's unconditional love that we get from our God. Can I get an amen to that? He loved us and then he cleansed us. He didn't cleanse us so we could be lovable. Amen? Could have seen us in our filth and discarded us like an old rag but he, and could have started over, but instead he chose to cleanse us. If we are to be like Christ, we need to see people the way the Lord does. Amen? Well, if you clean up your act, then you can come to my church. No, you come to the church so you can get your act cleaned up. Can I get an amen to that? Well, you know, that guy smokes. He can't go to church. There was times when people did that. Can you get it? 
because, by the way, isn't it amazing how we love to pick on other people's sins? Can I get an amen to that? We hate pride in everyone else. Can I get an amen to that? And so we have this mentality that we think other people need to do better so that they're acceptable to God. And the reality is, it's by grace. It's through grace that we're saved. Amen? While we're yet sinners, Christ Look, I know that I will have, be accountable to God for areas I fail when I get to heaven. But I want to say this. My heart is I will always err on the side of grace over the side of legalism. Amen? I would rather be too gracious than too self-righteous. Can I get an amen to that? I'd rather, let's love people the way that Jesus loved them. So verse, verse six says this, and he made us kings and priests to his God and the father, to him be glory and dominion forever. Amen. This is what Jesus makes of the filthy sinners. He cleanses at the cross. He makes us not only citizens of a new kingdom, he makes us priests and kings. What does a priest do? A priest does two things. He represents God to the people, and he represents the people to God. So the priest, when he would come in to make the sacrifice, he's bringing the sacrifice for the people, and he's bringing it to God. And then he goes out and takes what the Lord has taught him, and he delivers it to the people. And so he's made us priests and kings. So we are priests. What do we do? We intercede on behalf of others with God, and we tell others about God. Amen? So a priest is an intercessor. And that's why we don't need other priests. We don't need to confess our sins to other priests. We don't need to go sit in a box and have them tell us how much vain repetition we need to pray to be forgiven because Christ paid the price on the cross of Calvary and we don't need priests because we are priests. Can I get an amen to that? Okay. He cleansed us. He redeemed us. He forgave us. He made us new creations in Christ. Guys, we get to spend our lives with the Lord. In the Old Testament, it was forbidden to be both a king and a priest. King Uzziah of Judah is an example of someone who tried to combine both offices and he paid the penalty for it. But you know what? Under the new covenant, we have a great high priest and his name is Jesus. Amen? It says there, to him be glory and dominion forever. Amen. In light of all that he has done for us, shouldn't we praise him? Amen? To him be all the glory and the power. Amen? We should praise him and be unashamed of him. Amen? Don't apologize for talking about Jesus in public. Amen? Too often it's like, well, I don't want to have to, I don't want to offend anybody. You know what? If the name of Jesus offends you, you need to be offended. Can I get an amen to that? Well, that's offensive. It's supposed to be. Can I get an amen? I told you that story that I had a bunch of Christian stickers on my cubicle. This is back in San Jose. My boss called me and said, people are offended by those stickers. I said, they're supposed to be. That's the point. That's why we have them up there. Can I get an amen to that? That cross bothers them. Why do people spend millions of dollars to get a cross taken off a hillside on the side of a mountain? Oh, that's, that just blows my... Yeah, it's supposed to offend you. Amen? Because until you recognize you're a sinner, you'll see no need for a savior. I told you that when my son died, my, my boys and my daughter made a, a cross and put it up on the hill behind our house so we could see it way up on the top of this hill. In less than a week, somebody went up there and took it down. If we put Buddha up there, they'd put oranges in his lap and say nothing. Amen? But the cross of Christ is a stone of offense because it's a reminder to all of us that we're sinners in need of a Savior. And to him alone be the glory and the honor and the praise forever and ever and ever and ever. To recognize the glory of Jesus is to come in out and out for him. Some of you are, and this is a quote from Spurgeon. This is going to sound dated. It says, some of you are like a mouse behind the wainscoat. You're in the Lord's house 
but you're not known as one of the family. Sometimes you give a little squeak from your hiding place. Sometimes you come out at night, as a mouse does, to pick up a crumb or two without being seen. Is this worthy of yourself? Is it worthy of your Lord and your master? Guys, as believers, we should not be hiding our faith. We're not supposed to be undercover Christians. People come out of the closet for all kinds of stuff. Let's come out of the closet for Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's be unashamed of the gospel. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. To him be the glory and the dominion. Each man is a little empire of three kingdoms, body, soul, and spirit, and it should be be a united kingdom, amen? All under the power and the dominion of Almighty God. Point number four, what has Jesus promised to do? Look what it says here in verse seven. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, and even they that pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. Behold, he is coming. Amen? Maranatha, right? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen? He's coming. And guess what? Well, he hasn't come yet. It's been 2,000 years. They've been talking about it. 2,000 years closer. Can I get an amen to that? He's coming. This is a command to look out, to look to the Lord, to be prepared for his coming. John moves from praising Jesus to describing his return, the second coming at the end of his great tribulation, the rapture of the church prior to that. And Jesus said that we should watch and wait for his coming. We should live every day in anticipation of his soon return. If you knew the Lord was coming back in a week, would you live your life different in the next seven days? And he might be coming back in a week, amen? We should live every day in anticipation. This is a description based on John's understanding of the Old Testament. He knew what the word of God said. John knew Jesus was coming because he said he was coming. In John 14, 3, Jesus said, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Jesus didn't go to heaven and stay there. He was gone for the, he's gone for the church's benefit. He will return for our benefit. So Jesus came for our benefit to redeem us. He went away for our benefit to prepare a place for us. And he's coming back for our benefit to receive us unto himself. Amen? The truth that Jesus' coming should be like a magnet drawing us closer to him. It moves us from the temporal to the eternal. It says he's coming with a cloud. This is true, literally. Because when he left, he was taking up in a cloud, and God said he will come back in like manner. Multitudes of believers are called clouds of witnesses. So great a cloud of witnesses. It could also be a picture of us coming back with him. The Shekinah glory on Mount Sinai was he was present in the cloud. As they traveled through the wilderness in the tabernacle, there was a cloud of his glory and a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. And whenever the cloud moved or the fire moved, they moved alongside with him. What a great example. They got up every morning, came out of their tent to see if God's presence moved. And wherever it moved, they picked up up and moved. And that's what we ought to do. Look for where the Lord is leading and follow him. Don't be moved by Zillow. Be moved by the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? (laughs) Multitude of believers, a cloud, his Shekinah, his glory. We are his glory. John, once again, didn't need a special vision. He knew it because he read Daniel. Matthew 26 says, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And every eye will see him. When Jesus comes again, it won't be in secret. Everybody will know it. 
John didn't need a special vision once again. You read in the Word, it says in John 24, Therefore, if I say to you, look, he's in the desert, don't go out and look. He's in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so will also be the coming of the Son of Man. When Jesus comes, he won't be hiding. Notice it says, even those who have pierced him. Now, this is all people. Jesus didn't go to the cross just for some, but there were those who cried out for his crucifixion, and it was his own people, the, the children of Israel. Amen? And this is a, when, the, when they see him come back, there's going to be a huge revival amongst the Jewish people. Amen? They're going to look on him whom they have pierced. They're going to recognize he was the Messiah. And they're going to turn their lives over to him. And God is not done with the children of Israel. No one's more pro-Israel than I am because God's pro-Israel. Can I get an amen to that? God will bless those who bless Israel and curse those who curse Israel. All the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. When Jesus comes, it won't be only the Jewish people who will mourn, but every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. John knew the truth about the future return of Christ because he knew the word. Finally, how does Jesus introduce himself? But it says there in verse 8. So I haven't even done this justice. Now you know why I'm not doing as many verses. Let's finish up. Jesus. Notice it's in red letters in your Bible, right? I am. I love they always start up with I am because he's a great I am. Can I get him into that? I am the Alpha and the Omega. Okay, that's uh, the A to the Z, right? Alpha is the first letter of ancient Greek and Omega is the last letter. He's saying, I'm the A to the Z. I'm the beginning and the end. I always have been, I always will be. Amen? Nobody's the Alpha besides him. Nobody's the Omega besides him. He's the beginning and the end. The titles for Jesus mean he is before all things. He will remain beyond all things. He's both the beginning and the end. He is the authority over everything in between. Our Lord is in control. From creation to his human incarnation, to his crucifixion, to his resurrection, his ascension, his plan has been fulfilled in history, is being fulfilled in the present, will be fulfilled in the futures. In the future, our lives are not given over to blind fate or random meaningless, but to the sovereign plan of the all-knowing, all-powerful, always has been, always will be, almighty, perfect, holy God. Amen? Notice it says, who is and who was and is to come. Where did we see that? Verse 4, describing the Father. Now describing Jesus, same description. Why? Because Jesus and the Father are one. Amen? Jesus has an eternal nature just as much as God the Father does. And Micah 5, 2 prophetically expressed it this way, whose goings forth and coming from, from old, from everlasting. And, Ma and Hebrews 13 expressed it this way, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Notice it also says, he's the beginning of the end, says the Lord who was and is and is to come, and he is the Almighty. The word in Greek there is the one who has his hand on everything. I like that, amen? The one who has his hand on everything. Nothing slips through the hand of God. Again, the reverence here speaks of the great sovereign control Jesus has over everything, past, present, and future. And I love the word Almighty. It's used 10 times in the New Testament, nine times in the book of Revelation. So you want to talk about Almighty? Book of Revelation. This is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. So it's not a surprise that that word is used most in this book. This book has a great emphasis on the sovereignty of God, the understanding that he, he has his hand on everything. Before time existed, in creation, 
in his crucifixion, in our lives today, in every event that the future holds, the rapture, the tribulation, the second coming, God is in control and we can rest in that truth. He's almighty, we're not even kind of mighty, amen? He's the almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful God. He's a risen and living Savior who has triumphed over sin and death. This book is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. We're going to see and get to know him better every single verse we go through as we go through this book. Can I get an amen to that? So the unveiling of Jesus, we saw greetings from God. He's the great I am. He always has been. Who Jesus is, the faithful witness, the first one from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth. What Jesus has done for us, he's loved us. It's a wonderful thing to know that Jesus loves you. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. He knows you best, he loves you most. He washed away our sins by his own blood. What Jesus promised to do, to come back in the clouds. We're called to watch and wait and live every day in anticipation of his soon return. He's coming again to receive us unto himself, and every eye will see him. And how does he introduce himself? He's the Alpha and the Omega and everything in between. He's the beginning and the end. He's the one who was and is, is to come, and he is the Almighty. Amen? Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. You are an almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful God. We thank you for this book that you wrote it down for us. Lord, we're getting to know you better, and to know you better is to love you more. Lord, I pray for everyone here that, Lord, we would fall more in love with you, that you would be the priority and passion of our lives, that we will love you more than we love our jobs, more than we love our family even, Lord, because if we love you more, we'll love our family more. If we love you more, we'll be better workers. If we love you more, we'll be a Christ-like example to a lost and a dying world. Lord, we pray less of us and more of you. Lord, if I pray if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. The Bible also says, again, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Salvation doesn't come from good works. Salvation doesn't come because you went to church. There must come a point in a time where you recognize you're a sinner, you repent of your sin, and you surrender your life to him, not just as Savior, but as your Lord. If you've never done that, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now just to confess your sin openly by raising your hand. If you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, if you want to know for sure that you've been forgiven, if you're ready to repent of your sin and surrender your life to the Lord, I want you to raise your hand right where you are so I can pray with you. Anybody at all? Don't leave here without him. Anybody at all. Lord loves you so much, you'd rather die than live without you. God bless you. God bless you, young man. Anybody else? Anybody else? You're here and you've never prayed this prayer. And, and, and for the young man who raised his hand, I, I pray you just pray this along with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I, I come to you this morning and I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. Lord, please forgive me. Lord, I want to make you not just my Savior, but the Lord of my life. I surrender my life to you. I believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen.